Hi, I'm Jennifer Gassich. And my name is Mateusz Benko. This is the Let's Talk Ecosystems podcast. From activists to entrepreneurs, leaders to practitioners, we will learn how young people are making a positive change for our planet. In this series, we talk with change makers who are taking action to restore and protect nature as we move forward in the United Nations decade for ecosystem restoration. As you know, Mateusz, we rely heavily on the land for our basic needs, like food, fiber, water, medicine, and so on. But land degradation is a huge problem for people and the planet. Do you happen to know how much of the Earth's ice-free land area is affected by land degradation? Take a Uh, guess. hmm. Can you give me some, some tips, maybe? How about a fifth, a tenth, or a quarter? I will go for the fifth. It's actually a quarter. A quarter of the Earth's ice-free land area is affected by land degradation. This is a huge problem considering our survival depends on our natural resources. But today we have a wonderful guest who's going to tell us all about restoring our ecosystems and the land. And he does it through his work. We are very pleased to welcome Felipe Vilela, who is 2019 UNEP Young Champion of the Earth finalist for his work on making agroforestry the future of agriculture. He's also the co-founder of the Renature Foundation, which works with farmers and corporations to accelerate the transition to regenerative agroforestry, which benefits both people and the planet. In just over three years, the foundation has worked with over 4,000 farmers around the world to regenerate 42,000 hectares of land. Welcome, Felipe. Hello, Jennifer and Mateus. A pleasure to be here with you today and to be talking about ecosystem restoration and our experiences coming from a farming family background in Brazil. So it's a big pleasure to be here and to speak to you both. Excellent, Felipe. Thank you for being with us. Uh, We'd like to kick off with a very simple question. What exactly is regenerate agroforestry and how does it benefit from people and nature more than, say, conventional farming practices? Perfect. Uh, That's a great question. I think um, when you compare regenerative agriculture and and agroforestry in general from conventional practices, we're looking at uh, farming system that is based on processes and it's about mimicking nature compared to a system which is based on inputs and extracting natural resources. So basically we are looking and observing how nature behaves and we adapt the the knowledge behind the natural processes into farming processes. So basically For example, uh, as I said, is a more process and then input-based agriculture, meaning that we use uh, the local resources and local species in the region to provide enough uh, nitrogen, phosphor, and potassium, which is the three elements that, you know, soil requires to be in a healthy uh, state. So regenerative agroforestry is about going beyond sustainability, is about going beyond net zero. Uh, it's about really maximizing the positive impact on the landscape so that we can, you know, restore biodiversity, improve soil health, and also like make sure that we have a much more climate resilient agricultural system. And that's why agroforestry 
when you talk about forestry in, in, in agriculture, we're including tree species to create like a buffer for uh, climate volatility that we're facing nowadays. We're seeing like huge impacts of major agricultural commodities like soybean, coffee, cocoa being affected by climate change. And when you use trees in, land, in agricultural landscape, you build much more resilience. And that's why it's so important for us to go beyond you know, sustainable farming. We need to go regenerative. And that's why we need to also look at agroforestry, which as a form of like building resilience for farmers and making sure we have a economic, you know, economic resilient agricultural system for our future. Well, um, I read in your UNEP Young Champions of the Earth bio that you use a multi-cropping system as an agroforestry practice. Could you tell us more about what a multi-cropping system is and maybe give us an example of why it works so well? Perfect, Jennifer. Thanks for the question. I think, you know, when you look at in, in nature, have you ever seen like a, a monoculture anywhere in nature that humans didn't make any intervention before? No, right? So, I mean, in nature, it's always abundant and always diverse. So the diversification of species is fundamental for building soil health and to build a more resilient agricultural system. That's why today we have like one fourth of like our you know, global uh, landscape already degraded and we're reaching 90% by 2050 because we are producing with one single crop most of our agricultural commodities across the globe. And diversification is, is not just about uh, increasing, uh, you know, like, uh, for example, uh, biodiversity, but it's much more than that. It's about also increasing the amount of like nutrient density in soil so that you can really foster soil to be more resilient and therefore also build more capacity for farmers to have a more much more reliable ecosystem to and fertile ecosystem to work on so it's about also ensuring food security so that's why diversification when you move away from one single crop you are planting for example moving from monoculture coffee to agroforestry coffee you are uh, shading coffee with 30% with other species like avocado, African mahogany, or macadamia. And these crops can also be a way to diversify the income of farmers. So in the long term, it's much more profitable for a farmer to have uh, different income streams from, from avocado and other crops besides the coffee than just depends on coffee and have a, this huge risk of climate change impacting their coffee production. And then they don't have any other source of revenue. Excellent. I wonder, Felipe, why do we actually then have a single crop uh, agriculture? That's a very good question as well, uh, Mateus. I think the main reason why we have built an agricultural system that is based on monoculture is basically because we wanted to simplify and too much how we are farming in our landscape. So basically because we build also machines and technologies after the Second World War, in the Green Revolution, where we started using, you know, the synthetic fertilizers at scale to ensure food security for the world. That was the kind of like the, the whole intention behind like after the, the, the Green Revolution. So these machines, they were built for conventional agricultural practices, large scale context, and make only one single species commercial for the farmers. And, uh, and the thing is that this had a huge impact on 
land degradation and biodiversity decrease. And one of the prehistoric like uh, legends that worked towards mitigating that was Franklin Roosevelt that was tackling also soil health in the past. So this is a phenomenal story that you can also watch on Kiss the Ground movie if you haven't on Netflix. It's a super inspiring movie that shows the, also a bit on the, the story about behind Franklin Roosevelt working for a soil health uh, future. Well, definitely look out for that. I wanted to ask you, um, you must be involved, your work must be involved with Indigenous communities. So how do you work with Indigenous peoples? Could you give us an example? I think when you talk about regenerative agriculture and agroforestry, people tend to think that it's a very new agricultural system and it has a lot of like uh, hype right now. However, the principles of these practices comes from ancient uh, knowledge, from the wisdom from indigenous communities on how to farm. Because even the Amazon has been in, at, some, at some extent planted by indigenous people. So indigenous people, they know how to cultivate a remaining forest, but also how to plant a forest that produces food, fibers, medicine, and so forth for them. So I think uh, the principles uh, have been fought from indigenous communities. And one work we are doing, which is very, very exciting, uh, is with indigenous communities in Kenya, with Maasai communities, but also with indigenous communities in the Amazon, the Paiter Surui community. So basically, we are supporting the Maasai indigenous communities won the work around planting aloe vera and moringa in agroforestry systems so that they can start adopting more tree planting in their agricultural landscapes that has been highly degrading over the past years, but also to produce some crops that can benefit their uh, local businesses to start selling uh, cosmetic, cosmetic, cosmetics products to other brands. So this is super interesting because it's phenomenal shampoos as, and, and the soaps that they are making from, from the aloe vera and moringa and, and other also crops. So it's a super interesting project called Lycopia Permaculture Center from Joseph. I would love to introduce you more about that, but also with the Amazon indigenous communities where they are preserving the rainforest. We're talking about 60 families working with the sustainable forest management of Brazil nuts. And aside from the Brazil nuts, native forest, we're also working with agroforestry systems in the areas where it has been open or it has been deforested in the past. And uh, the idea behind this project is to really empower them to have their own brands and sell their products with an added value price. Because, you know, like in the past, all these large corporates, they were buying these crops from indigenous communities for a very extremely low price and not making feasible for them to continue working this way. So now we're like really working on this kind of empowering entrepreneurship mode so that we can really foster new businesses from indigenous communities, bottom up instead of top down approach. Speaking of um, entrepreneurs and business, could you tell us the story of the Renature Foundation that you co-founded? Yes, absolutely. Yes, I was very insightful to also remind myself, you know, where everything began. So I come from a citrus farming family background, always passionate about nature and inclusive farming. And when I was 17, I decided to go to the Amazon rainforest to explore the richness of that vital ecosystem. 
and also to learn about the wisdom of indigenous communities. And when I left Amazon, I saw this massive deforestation for soybean, cattle ranching, logging industries, uh, mining, and so forth. I was terrified by how we are treating nature in such a extractive way. And since then, I started looking for ways that we can include nature and forest in agriculture. And that's how I started learning about regenerative farming, agroforestry. So there was so much knowledge and scientific background behind such practices. But I was wondering, why is this not mainstream yet? How come that corporates, governments, they're not applying that at scale in there inside their supply chain? So, so that's how I started getting more advocate, advocate for such a topic. And in Brazil, as you know, it's a very challenging country to be bringing that topic to mainstream. So that's why also like I, we, I, we started Renature Foundation and Renature organization as a whole in the Netherlands. So I moved to, the, to Holland to find people that can really, you know, push this agenda forward. And that's how I met my co-founder, Marco, and we started Renature four years ago with the aim to support the transition of 2% of total farmland and 2% of total farmers by 2035, meaning 100 million hectares and 10 million farmers converted to regenerative agriculture and agroforestry by 2035. So it's a very ambitious goal, but we need to be ambitious with the time we have and with the urgency. And uh, we believe that with the right partners, we can achieve this goal. Well, how do you persuade farmers and people in the private sector that your business model and agroforestry practices are the best way forward to combat climate change and restore the ecosystem services we rely on? Perfect. That's a great question, indeed, because like the every like every stakeholder has a different perspective on what's the most biggest priority, right? So from a farmer perspective, is a very different from a corporate and investors and consumers' perspective, because consumers, investors, and corporates might think, okay. Uh, we want to build more, uh, we want to increase our environmental and uh, social impact on uh, how we produce our crops. However, for a farmer, the biggest priority indicator that for him is the, you know, the role model for him to transition is the economic perspective. So if it doesn't make sense for him economically, he will not transition. So that's why we work with proofing the business model behind regenerative farming so that we can show that it's more profitable to work with nature than against nature. So that's why we put a lot of emphasis on doing, you know, like a financial forecast for farmers, building ROIs and, and, and making sure that it's economically feasible. While, of course, we're measuring environmental and social impacts such as, you know, how much soil carbon we're increasing, how much biodiversity, how much water infiltration in the soil, how much uh, food security, women empowerment and so forth. So we are measuring those. And, but in general, like speaking, everybody knows that has like an environmental and social improvement. But if we can prove that it's more economically attractive, then, you know, everybody would move, will move forward. So that's why we're putting a lot of emphasis on the economic performance as well. What are the main um, crops or what are the main farmlands that you work with? You mentioned before coffee, you mentioned before uh, citrus, if I recall. Can you, can you give us a few names? Perfect, Mateus. That's a, you know, that's really interesting because we started with nature with the focus on building showcase farms in the countries where deforestation and land degradation is driving the most. 
So we've, we prioritize in the beginning Indonesia, Ivory Coast, and Brazil. So because of palm oil in Indonesia, because of cocoa in uh, Ivory Coast, and because of soybean and cattle in Brazil, which drives deforestation and land degradation, we decided to let's build like showcase farms in those regions to really, uh, you know, start store the story behind the economic benefits for transitioning to regenerative farming and, and agroforestry. So we started with those. And, and then since then, we started opening, of course, to more like crops such as coffee, for example. We're very strong in coffee, in cocoa, but also in cotton. So we're not talking only about the food industry, but also the fashion industry with cotton and rubber. We're talking to cosmetic industry as well. You know, as I said, palm oil, but also like aloe vera and moringa, as I mentioned, with the indigenous communities. And, and, and as well, poop and paper industry, you know, like uh, timber. Uh, we see a lot of like plantations of like people like uh, decarbonizing their supply chain with like reforestation projects. But planting timber in monoculture is as, you know, harmful for soil and for ecosystems than planting like agricultural crops. So, so that's why trees need to be in a, a diversified ecosystem. And that's why we are working with this kind of four major industries to change the way we're managing soil and supporting them in the transition, basically. Can you describe how you work with farmers and give us an example of how this training has been successful? Yes. Uh, so our approach is very farmers first, farmers centric approach. So we are always uh, the first like step of every work we do is like listening to farmers because we need to understand fully what are their, you know, issues and challenges and desires because we often, you know, see a lot of organizations just, yeah, making like statements and making farmers adapt to that statements. But for us is the reverse case. So we are always like talking to farmers, making sure they're aligned and they are on board. And then we start like uh, making the, 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 you know, the context analysis, mapping their uh, existing social and environmental context so that we can start planning the agroforestry and regenerative system. So we are always like listening to farmers, adapting the plan and implementing on the ground with the farmers the, the, the plan. And, uh, and then we always kind of like uh, build this, what we call farmers training program which is like a sort of like a school that we train farmers to scale such practices in their uh, operations so that we can uh, move from one example pilot to large scale context with the farmers community. Would you say that farmers are ready to change? Or maybe you, you have noticed that uh, young farmers are more keen to experiment. Let's put it in this way. What do you think about it? And you know that this podcast is also mainly focused for young people. So maybe you can give us an example of how young people are involved in your project. Yeah, it's super exciting because you see a lot of the coming generations of farmers, like, you know, coming with their new hopes, but also new basis for like changing the way their parents and grandparents, they have been growing stuff in the past. So we see like the next generation of farmers, they come from family that has over like 100,000 hectares sometimes, you know? So this like, we're talking about a lot of land that can be converted to regenerative because of the young generation, either 
already living in the rural area and wanting to do something different. But in some cases, they come from urban environments and they want to go back to farming, which is super interesting. Uh, we see a lot of like, you know, young generation seeing that they don't have uh, as much purpose to be in, in, a, in an urban environment than, you know, changing the landscape of their, of their family parents. Uh, so a lot of that is happening. But of course, like we're also seeing that farmers in general, they're becoming much more open and not because of the hype or because of the, you know, the, the buzz that these words regenerative agriculture and agroforestry is, is having, but because they're 87% of the farmers we have worked with, they already experienced climate change to some extent. So they are facing droughts, extreme droughts, extreme floods and, uh, and frost. And we had like, you know, 2 billion reais lost last year because of intensive drought impacts on soybean in Brazil. We had 30% yield decrease in coffee last year also in Brazil because of intensive frost. So farmers are realizing that climate change is impacting them and impacting on their yields. And therefore we have impact on food inflation as consumers and they are changing the way they produce also because of that. So it's very rare nowadays to find more resistance farmers. Yes, there is out there, but farmers are much more open to adapt and, and, and change their agricultural systems. But one very important thing to, to always bear in mind is that, you know, farmers, they are so bombed with information and certifications and uh, desires from corporates. So we should also like step back and see that farmers are our heroes. They are planting the food we eat, the cotton that is yeah, the, of the, the, the shirts we are wearing. So, you know, like we should uh, always try to not see the blame on farmers because they are not the one to blame. Uh, but we consumers, the corporates, investors should take the responsibility and really give the tools for farmers to go through the transition period because it's difficult. It's very hard. Like if you go to the field and see how it is to work in the field on changing the agriculture system, you realize that, you know, like uh, the more we need to reward farmers for their, you know, the impacts they're having. So that's why rewarding farmers for their ecological outcomes is key such as carbon credits, such as biodiversity and water that are coming up as well. So uh, payment for ecosystem services will be extremely valuable for farmers to have additional income for the impacts they're having. Well, that's extremely important. And I like the word farm heroes. This is so true. Could you tell us a little bit, Felipe, about some of the biggest challenges you've faced and how you've overcome them? Perfect, Jennifer. Uh, yeah, so I think the three biggest challenges we have to really scale and uh, and make sure that this is like the standard regenerative uh, the farming system that we have nowadays is one is mindset shift so we really need to understand holistically that we are not only looking at productivity like yields but looking at the system like landscape approach like profitability because it's more profitable looking at a hectare or like a landscape perspective compared to only looking at single individual like productive uh, yields. So, you know, so the first thing is mindset shift from, from all stakeholders involved uh, in, the, in the transition. Uh, secondly is new machines and technology that we definitely need to invest more. So, for example, when you move away from monoculture and start diversifying, there's still very few machines that understand crop diversity. 
meaning that you know we need new technologies and me mechanization to support these kind of like uh, different management practices that is adaptable to cover crops, no tillage, diversification, rotation of, co of crops, as well as you know moving from synthetic to biological fertilizers. So this all needs new technologies and machines to help the management, but also to monitor the impacts. We need to measure impacts constantly because regenerative culture and agroforestry is about outcomes. It's not about practices like individually, but it's about what's the impact on soil carbon, what's the impact on biodiversity, what's the impact on food security and so forth. And then last but not least is transition finance. If we don't have like the, the right set of uh, you know, investments or in finance for farmers to transition, then it will be very difficult. So we need also like more grassroots investors that understand that uh, there's like, a, you know, uh, let's say a blended finance instrument that we can work to support the transition with farmers to make sure that investments are there and finance is in place. Felipe, I'm really impressed and um, I'm pretty sure that all what you told us is also thanks to partnerships and different teams that you work with. Can you tell us a bit more about them? Perfect. Um, yeah, we have, you know, in our DNA, like uh, collaboration and is because without our partners, we would never be where we are and we would never be impacting the farmers and land that we are, uh, you know, co constantly working on impacting. So collaboration is key and collaboration from all like different segmentations you know we from scientists we have a scientific committee of renature that is working with like academics like and researchers from different universities from Wageningen to Delft to Cambridge to Brazil Vissosa so so really fostering science but also working from you know uh, with other stakeholders such as financiers private investors but also like institutional investors willing to support and invest in projects. So we make sure that all the stakeholders are also in dialogue with each other. And that's why we always are building bridges to make sure that we can create projects together. So for example, a corporate that needs coffee and a corporate that needs avocado for its cosmetics. One is cosmetic industry, one is food industry. So why not regenerate a land that can produce coffee and receive shade from avocado, and these two different crops in the same landscape can be distributed to different organizations in which they are cooperating from different industry towards more agricultural diversity. So I think there is a lot of like things that we can innovate in agriculture, such as bringing different organizations into the same landscape regenerated, but also uh, in financial instruments and, and so forth. So cooperation is key. And we can see the, from the results that we can uh, really work together for a regenerative future. Speaking of innovation, I believe you've just won an award. It's called MIT Solve. Is that correct? Tell us more. Indeed, Jennifer. Thank you for uh, bringing that up. I mean, we just got back also from New York, the climate week uh, on, and we were awarded from the MIT Solve, the Global Challenge. That was a, uh, a challenge that was uh, amongst 1,200 uh, organizations, and we were the eight finalists. So it's super exciting. Uh, and basically, we are awarded to start a project in 
uh, in Kenya, in which we're going to start using kelp from oceans. So it's a very rich, nutritious species uh, that can be grown in oceans to uh, support farmers with uh, soil regeneration, to replace the synthetic fertilizers some farmers are using with like uh, biofertilizers coming from the oceans. So, of course, the whole idea of regenerative ecological agroforestry is to work with like existing local resources. So not, you know, like always bring external inputs from far away. However, not every farmer has the luxury of having its local resources uh, available. So once that happens, we look for biofertilizers and bioinputs like biostimulants from other regions. And then we bring, and this, this is an extremely exciting project because it's putting land and ocean resource to dialogue and to foster soil regeneration. So it's so really excited with this collaboration between Renature and Kelp Blue to really regenerate soil with cultivated kelp. Congratulations, Philippe, one more time. As you know, we are currently in the UN decade for on ecosystem restoration. Do you believe that these 10 years will really make a difference? And uh, I do hope they will, but what kind of changes do we want to see in the next 10 years' time? Perfect. Yeah, I definitely believe that we can actually make a huge impact and change in this coming 10 years in landscape because I see more and more organizations working collaboratively and finding solutions at scale. So I think like we are putting our strengths and, and forces to make this viable. Uh, you know, I, I just coming back from the climate week in New York, you see all the stakeholders are moving their strategies, you know, using ESG uh, and, and also like uh, decarbonization of their supply chains as a, as a huge commitment. Yes, these are commitments, but you can also see the showcase being held in the, in the ground from, well, not all of them, but some of them. And so I, I feel very positive and very hopeful that in the coming 10 years, we'll see a lot of change in landscape and land use. Uh, also taking part of the land use coalition, uh, the food and land use coalition, uh, which is a very exciting uh, coalition that, that's organized by the World Resource Institute, uh, Systemic and, and others which is building also this framework for ecosystem restoration. And the UN ecosystem restoration is like a, a huge source of inspiration for us to really push this agenda and, and support farmers, but also landowners in general to transition to regenerative agriculture because a lot of landowners, not necessarily farmers, they're also looking for innovative ways uh, and sustainable ways to, to manage their land. So this is a huge opportunity and we have the tools, we have... We have finance, we have, uh, you know, the people. Now all we need to do is like connecting the dots and make sure that the impact is on the ground and really put our actions, uh, you know, like as seeds in the ground. So we can plant and see the plant growing throughout the years and measure this and constantly like uh, improve and disseminate, like really make it mainstream. So really exciting uh, to be part of the UN Ecosystem Restoration uh, alliance that is being built. Well, uh, you've been doing incredible work. What about um, Mateusz, myself, our listeners? How do we follow what you're doing and possibly get involved with your work? Perfect. So, uh, great. I think there's two most effective ways to be involved in, in how we are 
working in this space. One is the most exciting one, which is the most personal one. Like you going to the field and really visiting a regenerative and agroforestry farm and seeing with your own eyes how incredible the work is being done by farmers who are producing our food in a way that we are restoring soil. So I think uh, this is the most impactful way for you to be part of the journey and of the movement. And the secondly one, of course, is being part of one of our Green Nature projects. We have also a volunteer program where we work with some volunteers who would like to visit the farms and work with the farmers. So that can be something that you might be interested in. And we, are, we launched the 2% for the Planet campaign, which is like a, a campaign that it's the 2% we want to change in agricultural land and 2% farmers transition by 2035 that I mentioned before. And this campaign is basically a way for you to engage and keep uh, updated with our uh, progress uh, on regenerating soil. So if you would like to take part, we have that uh, more information on the website in our social medias uh, so that we can restore 2% of the farmland across the globe together. Philippe, I believe that your help will actually bring us some light in the context of the ecosystem restoration. We definitely learned a lot of today and it was a great pleasure to have you with us. I also hope that maybe in 10 years time, we'll look back at the interview and we'll measure what has changed. Yes, that's right, Mateusz. Thank you. And thank you so much, Felipe, for bringing all your insights and how into how we can improve the way we farm and help restore ecosystems. You've definitely given me a lot to think about and a lot of hope, and I'm sure for our listeners too. Stay tuned for next week's episode, and don't forget to review us as well as talk about us on social media using our hashtag Generation Restoration. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jennifer and Mateus, for the invitation and i really look forward to the coming ones and let's together uh, restore ecosystems uh, across the globe so thank you so much well said thank you bye-bye this podcast has been brought to you by the united nations environment program europe office and the food and agriculture organization of the united nations